0: Welcome to the show today. Today, I have Kolya Rafferty with me, and he is the Practice Lead Strategy at Leverage Experts. And he's also a CEO of a company. He's also a serial entrepreneur, and uh, just a really, really interesting person to talk to. So I'm really excited to dive in uh, today's conversation. So let's go right into the story part. Uh, Kolya, tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, what's your background, what's your story, from a personal side from an entrepreneurial side that got you to where you are today
1: yeah um hi daniel thanks for the nice intro well who i am this is uh, one of the questions i have sometimes every morning and in, in front of the uh as mirror um i i think i pursued quite a classical career in consulting initially so did my raid through a number of consulting firms uh, dealing with basically the edge of technology and business so What's in the company? What technology is available in the market? How can you leverage business performance through technology? That was the question I started considering um, uh, around, let's say, end of the 1990s, so before basically in the the old uh, millennium. Um, That led me to a number of consulting positions, diving into some major organizations, and basically tapping my, 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 my toes into the early stage of, um, of digital transformation. At that time, it was more about um, big data, was more about CRM, more about um, predictive analysis, stuff like that. Uh, I moved from there to, um, to the uh, finance business, so financial services, um, engaged into loyalty programs, engaged into large scale telecommunication programs, and uh, finally ended up as a deputy CMO and uh, head of bit management, which was sales basically, uh, of um, uh, a financial service provider here in Switzerland, uh, selling BPO, BPO programs um, and software as a service to the, to the market and um, entered from there, leverage experts, which is a boutique consulting firm um, in the niche of strategy, digital strategy, obviously, and MA. So what we do is we basically deal with young emerging businesses um, on the one hand side, and let's say the dinosaurs of the industry on the other hand side, and considering how this can fit together, and um, preparing acquisitions, preparing exits in this industry. Um, In parallel, I'm on board with a number of companies every now and then as either a board member um, or as a CEO. So I've led OTT TV, which is basically everything over the internet TV, Uh, In Switzerland, I'm uh, at the moment. I'm heading a a digital health company applying gamification to the uh, healthcare industry, which is a European business. It's quite quite exciting at the moment. Uh, And also, I'm I'm a a non-executive board member of a global uh, telecommunications IT company.
0: Great! Thanks so much for uh, diving into your story. Um, I love how like the diversity and like how you get involved in different things and different roles, always, you know, um, progress, always learn, always grow. Uh, very, very inspiring. Like one, one question that I have, I mean, I know some of the things you're involved in, you know, some of the, I mean, the company right now, you know, you're involved in as a CEO, has a heavy uh, set on gamification, on on health. Um, you're also doing lots of work in digital transformation. So, I mean, my question is, what what is the thing that gets you up every morning? Like, What is the thing that inspires you most about the work that you do every day?
1: I believe talking about the digital revolution at the moment is like talking about a bit of rain before the storm arrives. I believe the uh, digital, the wave of digital change is not even here yet. We have our ankles wet, that's it. So I believe also, if you, if you will look back, let's say, in 10 years, 20, or some of us in 50 years, what we do today is just so far from what we'll be doing tomorrow um, that it's hardly to imagine. And, I mean, I remember when I had my first computer, it was like a Commodore VC20. Uh, it was like this Pac-Man games and you know, stuff like really, Really bulky uh, graphics, etc., etc., etc. And if I just look at my my iPhone, it has so much more uh, graphical and um, technology capabilities than any computer I had, let's say, in the first ten to fifteen years of having a computer. And just in the last, let's say, three four years, maybe I would. I would say that the the IT, I'm just personally using, it's not like the professional standard, just a normal laptop basically, um, is getting to a sophisticated level. So just let's imagine what's going to happen tomorrow. And so I believe being part of this and being able and being privileged enough to also to steer this a little bit in the one or the other direction, that's something very, very exciting. And I mean, our children, our grandchildren will ask us, hey, grandpa, why didn't you do this and this and this and this? And why are you not a multi-billionaire, basically? I mean, if you look at Steve Jobs, if you look at Bill Gates, these were some of the individuals who really had the luck to be at the right time, at the right place, and understanding what's happening there. As the opportunities evolve today, there are so many digital opportunities around, and technology is available for any one of us. We all are at the right time, we all are at the right place, and the question is just, do we understand? How to make use of this. Love,
0: love, love that. That's uh I mean, there's a lot of energy in there, obviously. And uh, I mean, like the key sort of like that I gained out of this was um, this, this passion for, for being part of this legacy that is created right now, being part of this really massive wave that is coming and, and not just being part of it, but also taking a part in the lead of this, uh, of this change and enabling the world as we know it today helped transition into that new age successfully, hopefully. And uh, being able to, uh, you know, look back in 10, 20, maybe 50 years and say, you know, there's something we did right.
1: Okay. something we did in the end, yes. There's
0: something we did in the end, exactly. Love that. Thank you so much for, for diving into that. So I'm um, curious about what's, what's, uh, what's going on right now. So you've had a couple of uh, different things are involved in. Maybe let's... Uh, Let's focus on those kinds of. Uh, let's focus on those few that you're really, really, really passionate about. Some of, like maybe those one or two things that you're involved in right now that really excite you the
1: most. What are What are some of them? I think it's a very good question, actually. But I think if you if I put it to two elements, I would say, say it's it's trust and it's laziness. Uh, talking about trust, I believe by now um, we've understood this thing. This, this this is this internet it's not going to w- go away anymore, so there is a certain degree of trust in the industry and like talking about like old school industries like banking like finance like health like basically those cornerstone industries which are very very concerned about compliance which are very very concerned about reliability because they are in fact um, infrastructure relevant uh, for the the, the, the working of the whole society so these industries have gained trust and um, uh, trust into technology, which means um, technology is by now able and available to replace also industries as more and more of the, let's say, legacy processes are switched um, uh, in the digital world, which means to a degree, I mean, banking as we knew it when we grew up, like the banking shop around the corner where you go down, put your money in, Etcetera, etcetera, et cetera, This will be history. Nobody will talk about it anymore. And if you if you look at the um, at the industry uh, of automotive, just considering what's happening at the moment with self-driving cars, etcetera, etcetera, etcetera. There's a lot of technology going on which is taking over really critical processes in society. Taking over responsibilities from human and switching that to the machine world, which is, I think, generally a good thing. I mean, it's not we can't stop it anyway. Um, and on the other hand, we have to be careful of uh, keeping in control. And just remember, there was a case, I think, it was in Google Labs, uh, where they stopped two AI systems which started speaking to each other, negotiating stuff and creating a language of their own, and they were out of control as nobody was following this language anymore. So we have to be careful to stay in control and also observe legal, but also ethnic, ethical, um, uh, uh, well, rules and governance that we have to give ourselves uh, in order to, uh, to not let technology take over the purpose. The purpose, has to be, I think, defined by humans, and just execution can be switched to technology. So that's one big thing. And there's a lot of stuff going on there, and you can summarize it on, uh, on, 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 on FinTech, you can summarize it on automotive, you can really tap into any major industry, and uh, you'll find many, many, many examples of what I'm just talking about. Um, and on the other hand side, there's laziness. And humans are just basically lazy, and I'm a good example of that, so I can say that without uh, offending anyone. And on the one hand, side technology allows us to well being lazy and gain more time and save time for doing something more enjoyable, more healthy, which is just like delegating routine uh, uh, jobs to the to the IT. But on the other hand, also um, and we just talked about gamification before. Uh, we have still well the biggest challenge of digitization at the moment is, as far as I'm concerned, the human-machine interface. How can we help humans to operate technology in a better way? So uh, to be also more aware of how they can make use of that, but also to how can we deploy technology to uh, tackle the big issues of our time, which is also talking about demographic shifting, talking about diseases, talking about um, different, well, trends basically in society which do impact our lives and not only for the good. And how can we use technology to, um, to adapt better habits and really uh, move towards a better society? And there are different ways to do that. I mean, one example is gamification, uh, which is an industry I work recently in. So it's one way to make it fun. To be clever, to make to make it fun, to be more healthy, et cetera. The other way we just spoke about that before is um, just recently the news has been out of China uh, that the Chinese applying like really the total big brother state and sanctioning um, of course any kind of um, of, of non-desirable uh, behavior. So there are different ways to to address these issues, but um, this is also something I believe uh, which is. Finding a big concern and should find a big concern also to uh, to find the right balance between technology and ethical codes and also human um, uh, human uh, society.
0: I I love those two points. You know, trust and laziness perfectly summed up with two beautiful words. Um, this is I mean, this is going into an interesting direction because it kind of like now we're talking about like some of the biggest challenges faced right now in terms of. Uh, digital transition and I want to stay there a little bit because I think this is a hugely important topic for anyone involved in in the digital transformation either as a a leader at a company going through that or as a company um, sort of like creating a digital transformation in their in their field so with those you know major challenges I mean let's look at some maybe some examples you have um, some 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 cases from your experience how do leaders deal with that so how do how does a leader for example at a large company going through that digital transformation deal with those challenges like you know trust compliance um, ethics when it comes to uh, emerging technologies and also with that you know human machine interface in order to um on the one side not just have the most incredible tech in the company and then nobody use it or know how to use it but actually make sure that the human machine collaboration actually works. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I mean, I start, let me start with a very simple uh, statement initially. I mean, if you're not digital, you are out. Very simple. Any company not considering today about um, uh, digital strategies and considering how to really take the best uh, advantage of uh, digital technologies uh, is out if they don't do so. And I mean, if you remember, I mean, who was um, AOL, for example, Nokia, Never heard of them again, actually, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not being rude to anybody, but um, seven out of the top ten leading companies by market capitalization globally are younger than 25 years. So um, the chance of a company to, to evolve in the, in, in the global market, is, to quickly evolve in the, uh, in the global market, are bigger than ever before, I believe. And also for the dinosaurs of the industry, it's more than uh, vital to really be on top of digital uh, transformation to just stay in the game. So how do uh, companies address this issue? I mean, we all know uh, the biggest resistance of change is always internally, and the the bigger the internal is, the more difficult it is to push through digitization. I believe that the big companies have basically no chance to survive on the mid run. I'm not talking about the long run. I'm talking about, let's say, the next five to maximum of 10 years. Um, if they do not adopt to a very dynamic, very adaptive uh, way of management, which means um, the old school top down, uh, 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 idea of management and hierarchies are just basically outdated and if you do not manage to get your organization to more self-organizing teams applying Scrum for example in the management process, something we did recently in our company which is quite interesting if you start really working with Scrum principles which is an IT uh, framework for IT R&D projects uh, and adapt that to the management level, uh, it's a quite a quite an awkward experience in the beginning, but after a while you feel, okay, it's a more collaborative way to work together, it's more, more, more sophisticated discussions actually, and you're really empowering the people around you, which you need, you need to be able to really have like this 360 uh, degree uh, radar on, you have to be really able to exhaust um, uh, all the resources you have in your company in, t- in terms of intelligence, innovation, in order to just be adaptive enough um, to an ever-changing environment out there. And also, I mean, a good example is big companies buying startup uh, startup companies just to get the innovation inside, just to have the learning curve um, by making use of these small entities which tried something, which survived something, which somehow are maybe much tougher than one of the dinosaurs. So this is maybe one way that works. I think the only company which created um, an innovative um, culture of its own, I can remember of, is is 3M. The only company which dedicated early days already huge investments to innovation and um, stayed in their industry, which is not digital, really, um, really the innovation leader. And I just read today that Volkswagen used to be the leading company globally in terms of um, innovation spannings, And they've been overtaken by a number of um, US uh, uh, digital companies leaded, led by, by Amazon. So Amazon is not anymore um, a company, uh, it's not anymore a bookstore online, but now it's a, well, what is it? So it's, it's, a, it's a department store online, it's a drone operator, it's so many things. And just if you tap into that company, you'll see, what kind of, let's say, disruption bombs are in there which can change whole industries over here. So adapting to this is, I think, quite a challenge for any leader in the industry, but um, it starts with really questioning your own positioning. And if you don't do that, if you don't say, well, actually, my company has to be either a startup or I'm a turnaround, there's nothing in between. There is no this cornerstone, I mean, I've been here forever and I will be here forever. That's gone. You're either a startup or you're a turnaround. And that's I think the, the, the mindset a senior industry leader has to adopt in order to be um, able and flexible enough to survive the next years.
0: I love those insights and there's specific two that jumped out that I would love to go a little bit deeper. One of them is management practices. The other one is uh, merchant acquisitions of younger companies or startups. Let's just start with management practices. Um, I mean this is a really big topic as well Um, and I you know some of the companies that I talk to which are um, You know dinosaurs and uh, they have this very much still very top-down approach and there's not a lot of innovation in management itself Um, so I mean so Let's say company has been doing that for 20 years 50 years. It's just the way it's been done forever things are going really well, you know, very profitable company. The board goes like, why would we ever change anything? It's just like things are going really well. I mean, what, what are, like, let's say somebody's, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a CIO, CTO, CTO position at, at, at a company like that. What are some of the starting points for them to 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 even, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about the whole process, but just some of the pointers in the beginning. What are some of the sparks that, if you would talk to them, would, would you go over in order to jumpstart a management change that is going into more flexible, more innovative, and more modern way of doing things?
1: Well, um, it really depends who you talk to, I believe. If you talk to the CEO, the board, or whatever, it's one point. If you talk to the non-executive board, it's another point. If you talk to the owner, it's I think this is the there you can place the most provocative but also the most effective statement, which means basically take away money. Uh, many industries today are still arranging their day-to-day operations around uh, proceeds from revenues from past innovations. They invented one thing one day, still in the market, they still have good success with it, nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong, but they make a lot of money and the question you just ask yourself was well, like, why should we change anything? Well, you should change anything because most likely you are um, taking today, or living today off the proceeds of your past innovation. So either you manage to devote this proceeds to future innovation, which is quite difficult to do sometimes. There are companies who do that. I mean, look at Amazon just mention, that, mention them, they just say, okay, we don't know what we, we got here, but what, what we got us here won't get us there. So we have to invest for the future, so we have to invest more and more into, into innovation. If you look, the, if you follow the stock markets, uh, companies uh, who invest a lot in, in innovation are normally doing quite well compared to the average market on the, on the stock market, stock exchange. So um, one point to to get you know management out of this comfort zone to really make people think, to really get them to a point that they cannot rely anymore on well on successes they already had in the in the past is to basically take away um, excess capital and really force them to think um, on on, on re- really managing a company on a string. So really say okay. What can you do with less resources and how much less do you really need, can, can handle? And what would be the most you know, effective step for you to change your business? Because I mean, as, especially for, for legacy companies, um, the status quo is often quite comfortable for the individual. Everybody has this income, there's nice offices, nice secretaries, everything is very nice. So why should you change that? Well, you should change it because there might be the fear one day you can't afford this anymore. But at that point, it's too late to start talking about a turnaround, or to put it to more, more positive words, about enhancing innovation, which is nothing else but preparing a turnaround, essentially. Um, when you already are at the verge of, um, of the downturn, it's too late. You have to do that much earlier. So either the management understands this and says, okay, we need to gain change. I mean, it was, uh, I think, Mark Zuckerberg who said, okay, we need to cannibalize ourselves, otherwise someone else will do. Or if the management is not able to do so, to change his mindset, well, just take away uh, all the comfort. Just take away all the merits, all the comforts. Okay, this is what you have, guys, so now move. And uh, yeah. normally, it is less about resources. It's more about mindset. Are the people at the top, of course, but also, let's say, the mid-management, are they really able to to engage into a situation where changing the game is just vital? And just to close it here, this is exactly the situation any startup is facing every day. Absolutely, yeah. Live or die.
0: Live or die, exactly, yeah. And it's it's really interesting to... If you take, you know, a startup or a big company and just like compare all of these factors, it's just like, it's, it's obviously you can't really do that because of the size and things like that. But you can look at it from, a, from an innovation and lean perspective, you know, so maybe your assistant's assistant doesn't need, you know, an assistant, <laughs> you know, or your secretary doesn't really need a secretary. And it's sort of like, you know, there's, there's so much um, stuff that comes with this size. There's so much complexity um, if you just try to or, like manage it as one global organization um, so I, I love the pointers there now there's a there's the other field that you are also involved in which is m so there's no topic like you know uh, big companies buying a startup right they're buying the innovation but the question is uh, they always ask I ask myself five years later where's the innovation is it still there is it dead um, Absolutely. because yeah because usually it's dead because um, the company buys the startup and the founder of the startup I mean, the founder of the startup is the actual innovation and the founder of a startup doesn't really stay usually for another five years or 10 years in the company. Usually the guy goes like, great, thank you for the money. I'm doing the next, you know, the next great thing, right? That's an entrepreneur. So uh, my question to you is how, 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 how to deal with this. So if you're, if you're buying a startup, how do you make sure the innovation isn't in debt? five years from today. What are some of the pointers that you have?
1: Well, I mean, there's, um, I mean, M&A is quite a complex field, so there's not like the one answer to this. But um, if we just ignore, for example, for a moment, like just buying technology, which you just in phase into your own products, just buying uh, market share, which you just take over with your own sales force. So we get to the it's a core point where you say, okay, the innovation itself. The innovation is maybe not even a code. It's not really an application. It's more a mindset. It's a, it's a way of doing things. I think to consider how to deal with that, we have to jump a couple of hundred years uh, to the future um, and um, maybe talk to Captain Janeway from, uh, I think it's the USS Voyager, huh? um, challenging we are Borg, surrender. And that's the... That's the situation a a startup is facing uh, when being acquired by a major corporation. They are borg, they will pay you well, that's good. So take some money and run. Um, So if we look at that, um, the question is, is there any way for a startup or for a startup team, let's put it that way, like a team a mentality to survive in this borg environment? I believe yes, but it's very much a question of identity. So if a company, if a huge company acquires a startup, insourcing the startup, taking away the identity, taking away the, let's say, the way to do things in a startup way, which is very much non-compliant in many in many ways, which is very much non, non, non-traditional um, by any means, if you take that away, Of course, you have to adapt to certain uh, uh, standards and processes, but if you take away too much, you just kill it. Um, And not maybe by putting it in the wrong environment, but just the people will leave. Because those people who committed once to a startup, they are not interested so much into job security, company cars, secretaries, whatever. Uh, They care more about their nice garage, maybe, which is maybe in Berlin, and they have the skateboards in the office, and that's totally cool. Uh, and now they are expected to come with a suit to the office every day, doesn't work. So um, I think the first mistake, so to say, is to expect a startup and the startup people to be like the corporate people just the next day. That doesn't work. Um, And that's also a a challenge for uh, for startups which are growing, actually, that with growth, processes, compliance, everything kicks in, and again, changing the identity of the company. So um, I think the challenge for a big corp here is, can I preserve core talent? Yes, no. If no, fine. Can I integrate the technology and lose maybe part of the you know, going forward innovation, but just make best use of the technology? Yes, no. If no, then don't do the deal. If yes, okay, then still it has to be a good deal at that stage. Um, if I can preserve the, 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 the identity of the startup, it still has to interact with the uh, with a, with a corporation to, you know, unlock synergies and stuff. And still, that is a question: Will that work? Can I, as a as a holding company, operate basically two different um, identities under my roof? It's a good question. Some can, some can't. So uh, there's a number of notions to that. But um, in the on the M and A side, it's less about is this technology really fitting to us or not? It's more the question, why am I want to buy them? Is it to get the assets? That's an easy thing to do. Or is it because I want to have the dynamic, I want to have the, um, the innovation? That's a more difficult thing to do. And then I have to consider, can I keep the identity of this small company, even in my big company environment, to really make the people stay, to really keep the third?
0: I love, love, love that point. I mean, especially like, you know, coming from a, you know, from a starting point of, okay, so you you have a plan of buying a company. Really knowing why you want to buy that company may seem so simple, but very often it's so unclear. It's, it's, there's, there's so many people involved and and, and there's so many different perspectives on things that it's very easy to get diluted on, on that purpose. But I think that purpose is really the, the cornerstone, the, the essence of will it work afterwards or not? Because as you said, if you're buying it for the assets, great, you know, there's a certain way of doing that. But if you're really buying it for the innovation and for the spirit, for the culture, maybe, and things like that, well, there's a whole different way of thinking about this later, right? Love that. Great. So um, I really appreciate. Thank you so much for all these insights. Amazing conversation. Now, one question. Um, that I always ask my guests is, so in your work that you're doing uh, with, you know, the health company as well, um, with, um, you know, in gamification, with leverage experts, let's say uh, as an overarching theme, it's just the work that you're doing. What, if you could just wave a magic wand and you could have, have access to one or two key things that, you know, would just be there for you in order to make your work easier to make progress in digital transformation easier or faster or the work as CEO for you, what would it be? Would it be talent? Would it be um, partners? Would it be something completely different?
1: Hmm. Um, Well, the actual answer would be time. The point is with time, why time? Of course, you want to get as much stuff on the ground as possible, which translates in basically resources and talent. And on the other hand side, um, creating trust is very important also on the uh, customer side, not only for the company, which is a small company, young company, but also for um, uh, the um, the uh, also for the let's say the solution, the industry itself. I mean, years ago, we would have not seen robots as medical personnel. Today, they do surgery. So, I mean, there's a lot of things happening. Some could be happening much, much, much faster from my perspective. So, and uh, talking about time on the customer side, it's partners and it's the ecosystem. I think if you're balanced in a good ecosystem as a company, if you have access to solutions, if you have access to references, if you have access to... People challenging you on a friendly basis—that helps a lot. It saves you a lot of time on the market.
0: Great. So there's a couple of pointers that I that I uh, spotted. One of them is a, a, on a sort of like a, as a, as an industry itself, or as a um, as a well digital transformation on a on a global scale. It's 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 the brand of um, of, of, of of that work. the, the impact of that work. Um, for companies and people, stakeholders and more to really understand what it is. That, that's sort of an overarching thing, which I think we can summarize in trust. Uh, the other thing is to, um, with, with establishing it on the company side, it's the trust in the market, it's the trust with partners and things like that. Talent is, is a big one you mentioned, obviously, which uh, which always helps in terms of resources, you know, time and, and leverage and things like that. So these are some great, great pointers there. So if people... You know, want to get in touch with you um, or learn more about the company, the things you're involved in. What are, let's say, the two or three best
1: places to do that? To be in touch with me. <laughs> well, hang out the web. <laughs> Um, no, of course I'm on the usual conferences and uh, and uh, uh, networking events, of course, and I take actually great pleasure in networking on on the uh, uh, on like being in the inner circle of of the networks. As obviously there you find the kind of people challenging you, asking you, suggesting you, and basically putting your own brain to the edge, which is very 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 re- uh, required to to move forward yourself, because otherwise you get stuck, obviously, in your old kind of. Uh, Old way of thinking, which doesn't help.
0: Absolutely. That's by the way, it's just a great pointer, I think, as, a, as an overarching theme in terms of changing anything. um, You know, best practice exchange, working with others, collaborating with others, not looking at others as competition, but actually as, uh, you know, collaborators, exchanging ideas, change, challenging each other and things like that. I think that is uh, just a great, great uh, insider pointer as an overarching theme. So uh, what I will do is I will link... To uh, some sources below this video, like LinkedIn, uh, the company website, and things like that, for people to you know check you out, learn more about your work, about the things you're involved in, and uh, and then you know they can take it from there. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing uh, all your insights here and your wisdom, and uh, for being on the show. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much.